0: Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali will be held from the 10th to the 13th of April, right here in Verona. To discover more about Vinitali and get your tickets, visit vinitaly.com. This year, the Italian Wine Podcast will be live and in person in Pavilion 6, Stand A7. So come on down and say hello.
1: will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food, and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today, I'm meeting up with my guest, Fiona Beckett, who's in London at the moment, food, wine, writer, author of numerous highly acclaimed books, and one of the world's leading experts on matching wine and food. Fiona has created possibly the most comprehensive and best website on this complex subject, www.matchingfoodandwine.com. We're close friends, so I'm delighted to meet up with you again here, Fee. How are you today?
2: I'm good, thank you. Yeah, the sun is shining in London, so... um...
1: Now, Fee, you are The Guardian wine writer... You contribute regularly to Decanter and other publications, and you're the author of at least 25 books on wine, food, beer, and even non-alcoholic drinks. Some of your many titles include Wine Lover's Kitchen, How to Match Food and Wine, Eating and Drinking, an A to Z of great food and drink combinations, as well as food books such as Fiona Beckett's Cheese Course, The Frugal Cook, and The Ultimate Student Cookbook, as, which, as you know, it's a book I know and love well for various reasons. And you even have your own podcast with Liam Stevenson, MW called Batonage, which explores this complex subject of matching wine and food. You judge in wine competitions and food awards I saw last week or so, you were up north judging marmalades. So you're incredibly busy. How do you manage to do it all?
2: Well, I mean, that is stretching over a number of years, (laughs) not all at the same time. But the marmalade judging was super fun. I've never judged marmalade before. And I learned so much. I mean, I thought I was a pretty good marmalade maker. And, um, you know, that my marmalade recipe was, you know, just as good as it got. But actually, I've learned uh, and that matters about different marmalades.
1: It looked like you were tasting loads and loads of marmalades. I loved your marmalade-coloured coat as well.
2: I know. I picked that up from a charity shop.
1: Wow. What a find.
2: Yeah, it was a really good find.
1: Great. Well, Fee, let's talk about matching food and wine. A lot of people think that there's a huge mystery surrounding this complicated subject. Is there?
2: Um, There shouldn't be. And I certainly, it's the last thing I would ever want is for people to think, oh, this is something else I have to learn about wine, and wine's complicated enough already. I think it makes the whole subject of wine easier and more accessible. And I think the advice I sometimes give is, you know, put your cook's hat on. Think, when when you're in the kitchen, you're cooking, you often think, oh, that would be nice with that, or that needs a squeeze of lemon, or... Um, or a bit of pepper on that and what you're trying to do with wine is just make it work with the dish just like that so it and there's no one final answer just as there is no final one recipe you know you just experiment and try things.
1: Sure actually that's very interesting coming at that from a cook's point of view, are there some basic, important principles that, that you can give to our listeners that would be a useful guide?
2: I would say the most useful thing is um, don't think solely about the basic ingredient. Think about the way it's cooked. You know, for example, let's take chicken. You know, how many ways are there cooking chicken? I mean, just an enormous number. You know, roast chicken on the one hand, something like coq au vin on another, a Thai green chicken curry, you know, all of those need different wines. And so think, you know, is it, you know, are we talking about something that's lightly cooked or raw? Are we talking about something that's heavily charred? Uh, What is, if any, is the sauce on it? What is it served with? What kind of Food tradition does it come from um which is where italian food might come in um so you know put it in context
1: yeah i think that's a really good advice you know people sort of think fish white wine and but as you say if the, it all depends on how the fish is cooked i'm thinking of a of a rare tuna steak grilled in sicily perhaps with with tomatoes and capers and and lots of garlic and you know that's that could stand up well to a nice Sicilian red.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking, um I was just thinking as you were talking there, I was thinking frappato might be rather nice with
1: that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well let's uh since we are on the Italian wine podcast, um let's think about Italian wine and food. I think the Italians probably make much less of a fuss about this than we do. And normally in Italy the wines that accompany the local foods are precisely the wines that are made in that same locality and it usually works pretty well wouldn't you agree totally
2: i mean you know it's just um it's like breathing isn't it it's just like that is the one that is the wine you drink because that is the wine you make and i also think italians have much a much plainer taste register than than perhaps we do we don't they don't i mean most italians I find love Italian food, and might they might be occasionally persuaded to eat something else are more than happy with it. and so an Italian food is not heavily spiced, is it it's 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 often quite simple, relying on great ingredients. and the wines are relatively modest in alcohol for the most part, certainly the more traditional styles, and they're dry. And so they kind of go, they just go really easily and seamlessly with the food.
1: Yes, I think I think that's a really good point. And also, I think you're right that our palates are really shaped by this vast, just as we have a huge range and choice of wines from all over the world, uh, so we have that choice with all of the different cuisines of the world that we enjoy in our lives at various times. Whereas Italians, as you say... They tend to enjoy Italian food and Italian wine, but even going much more specifically than that, their own regional foods and wines, and even more specifically than that. You know, I'm thinking about some of the differences in uh, the foods and wines from somewhere as close as Alba and Asti, and how the Barbera d'Alba can vary from Barbera d'Asti, is almost a completely different drink that goes. Uh, more closely with the foods from that nearby locality. So we're really talking about a pretty precise local tastes and flavors that people don't like to stray too far from as a general rule.
2: I think so. I mean, I can remember being in in, um, Tuscany on a Chianti trip and the meal would certainly in the past have started with red wine as well as finished with red wine. And so you'd get a red wine a light Chianti served with something like a, a chickpea and rosemary soup. Whereas, you know, we might think, oh, well, white wine would be better with that. And I mean, there are more white wines there now. But, you know, it's certainly, you know, red, red wine, you know, sort of starts, often kicks, still kicks off the meal. And, um, you know, we wouldn't think that way.
1: That That's true. And actually, another interesting point, I think, is that, You know, we'll often have uh, a glass of wine, maybe not even with anything to eat, as an evening is kicking off, uh, whatever time of day. But in Italy, it's very rare for a glass of wine or a bottle of wine to be enjoyed without food. Even if you are meeting friends in a bar, there will always be some sort of aperitivo offered, often quite, you know, extensive. So... Wine is something that's very much enjoyed at the table rather than as a drink outside, I would say, as a general rule. It's so utterly linked to food, it's almost impossible to separate.
2: Totally. Yeah, I agree. And those lovely bars with all those snacks lined up on the top, just go in there and, um, you know, just order one or two. I love that.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, we think of um, Spain with its wonderful tradition of tapas uh as you know great for that sort of grazing and drinking but Italy really has that as well and much more so i found in uh the recent years than certainly going back you know to the more distant past when we were traveling around italy i don't know 20 years ago that's a that's become a much more common and generous feature along those bar tops so it's something i really love but there are some just absolutely Classic food and wine combinations that just work. You know, I, I think we were considering some of these, like the Adriatic brodetto, uh, this wonderful festival from the sea. This fish soup made with often with the blue fish, you know, the oily fish. Quite different from from fi- uh, fish soupy stews from elsewhere.
2: never had that, so um, yeah, um, I, when you mention that, I'd like to think, oh, I'd love to try that.
1: Oh yes, it's it really is a real treat. Uh, in Ancona, uh, of course, every town will have its own variation, and the white wines from Le Marche do go so well with it, particularly the more structured Verdicchio wines, uh, from Castelli di but also from Metallica.
2: I really love Verdicchio. I think it's a, I mean, those Italian white wines that kind of, if you taste them on their own, they're just not much. I mean, Pinot Grigio included, but, you know, um, Verdicchio, Venaccia, uh, Oviedo, and, you know, you just, they're kind of like really neutral. And then when you have them with food, they burst into life, you know, but uh, they they're just so perfect.
1: Yes, I think you're right. You know, they, they don't have really obvious and and pronounced aromatic qualities often, which is sometimes what we're looking for. We're trying to identify scents and flavors. But as you say, when you then enjoy them with the local foods or with any food, Verdicchio, I think, is just such a great food wine. It is one of my favorite Italian wines. One of the interesting things, though, is, is, of course, how Italy has so many native grape varieties that one is still discovering. Last night, for example, uh, Kim and I opened a bottle of a, a wine made from a grape I'd never encountered before, never heard of, Cococciola. Have you come across that? No. From Abruzzo. It was uh, relatively light, I think about 12% in alcohol, but very zesty, very citrus grapefruit, really um, not highly aromatic, but it was just a beautiful, light, zesty wine to enjoy with some local scallops that we had that I just quickly seared. Uh, I don't know where I picked it up. I think probably because I hadn't heard of it before. And that's what I always do suggest to people, that if you're looking at an Italian wine list or an Italian wine in a shop to choose something you've never heard of before because it can often be so surprising.
2: Yeah. I mean actually that's good wine list advice generally because that is the way to learn about wine. You know, you get the opportunity to, to try something you don't know, often by the glass, and the restaurant will have put it on because, you know, the the owner or the sommelier is really excited about this wine. And even though they think nobody will know it or recognize it. They like it so much, and they don't overprice it. It's it's always a good buy.
1: Yes, yes, I think that's right. And as you say, you've got to trust trust the sommelier, trust the wine buyer, because if it is an unknown name, it's not going to be easy to sell. Yeah. And so they must have chosen it because there's something to that wine. There's so many of these wonderful... Um, you know, food and wine combinations that you just think of as absolutely classic. I mean, one of the most obvious would be the famous Pistecca alla Fiorentina. Why does that go so well with the local wines of Tuscany?
2: I, th- I think because it often has a squeeze of lemon, doesn't it? Or maybe it always has a squeeze of lemon. And I mean, you know, red red meat and red wine is a, is a bit of a no-brainer. It generally works, but there's something about that cut and the way it's served with the lemon on the side and the fact that the acidity in Sangiovese that makes it just sing, doesn't it? It's it's a brilliant combination.
1: I think you're right. I think it's that acidity that uh, the um, best wines from Chianti Classico, Brunello, Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, has underlying um, a structure which is never overly heavy. But as you say, there's so so many red wines. I'm sure you have written extensively about the best wines with steak, And there would be many arguments for this or that. But certainly with a bistec, I I think it's uh, one of the great combinations. We also, you know, we think about Italian food as if it was a single cuisine. But of course, there's so many different cuisines across this lengthy country you know, thinking of the Northeast, Friuli, Venezia, Giulia, for example, where we have influences of Austria, Slovenia, Croatia, Venice, all over in the foods with, with, uh, you know, completely different food profiles than say, in the deep south and or indeed in Sicily. So it's, it's hard to really, you know, generalize about Italian food. Uh, but that's why it's So fascinating as well. And
2: I think, um, you know, uh, it's worth remembering sparkling wine, too, in terms of Italy. I mean, Prosecco is so ubiquitous now, and kind of like we all tend to be, you know, a bit sniffy about it, I think, in the wine trade. But, you know, on a nice day, you know, in Venice, little little restaurant, canal side restaurant, cafe, plate of frito misto, and a bottle of Prosecco, that's just a great combination, isn't it?
1: It is. You're absolutely right. And there's so many good sparkling wines now being made everywhere in the country. You know, I think wine technology is allowing, um, you know, great, great sparkling wines to be made from the north of Italy right down to uh, to Sicily, where I've had some interesting sparkling wines from Caricante grapes grown on Etna.
2: Oh, I love Caricante. That's a that's a lovely grape variety, isn't it? To look out for. I mean, it's great with the seafood on Cecily.
1: Oh, it is. And it's also one of those white wines that has, a, and few in Italy, that has a tremendous capacity to evolve with age in a way that, say, a Riesling can. So it's a, it's a stunning grape. I hope we'll see more of it. What are some of your other grape, Italian grape varieties that are both personal favorites and also which uh, you think are particularly uh, great with food? Oh my goodness, it's such a big question.
2: Uh, I love Vermentino. I once, I've only once been to Sardinia, but I fell in love with it and also the Vermentinos there, and I love them with seafood again. I really like that. I love Nero Davila. I think that's a great red wine variety. And it's brilliant with aubergines, those sort of aubergine parmigiana.
1: Or the pasta alla norma, this famous dish of Catania. Mm,
2: so I like that. I was thinking, you know, A to Z. I, I always love Zibibo because it's just its just such a brilliant name, isn't it, for a good
1: It is. It's such a fabulous name.
2: And it makes... Really charming wines, you know, sort of rather kind of light and aromatic and romantic. And, and um, you know, I, I think great, actually, for those sort of nibbles we were talking about, you know, just kind of you're sitting and snacking and having, you know, preferably by the sea again.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I th- I, let's just think about some, I'm sure, a question you've covered before. It's interesting to, I was listening to your podcast about wines with curry and how you actually reach conclusions of wines that work well when you're actually tasting foods and wines together. What about pizza? Pizza must be a, a subject you covered. I was interested to watch a podcast that Stevie Kim did on, uh, actually on her YouTube channels, and it is on Italian Wine Podcast on pizza in Naples. And in one of the famous pizza Places I can't remember which one. They said that the traditional wine to drink with pizza in Naples is Marsala. Really? Yeah, Marsala. But nowadays people were going for bubbles, bollicine, sparkling wines. But that the old way, the old school wine in Naples was Marsala. What would what do you think about pizza and wine?
2: Well, i my... I suspect, and you'll you'll put me right on this if I'm wrong, that actually most most Italians will go for beer with a pizza. You know, quite you quite often go to pizza places in Italy and you see young Italians, um, you know, with you know something like a pepperoni. <laughs> you know, it's like it's. Uh, I just think anything light and drinkable and gulpable. You know, I mean, I I probably myself would go for a light red, uh, mm-hmm. but um, you know, if you've got a seafood pizza or some kind, uh, you know. A, an easy drinking white, but you know, not strong, not strong in personality, gulpable. What the French call a van soif.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I guess that's why a wine like uh, a simple Montepulciano d'Abruzzo is often popular in such places. Not the more serious heavyweights, but uh, the simpler examples.
2: And I think also there's um I mean there's quite a sort of strong natural wine movement now coming through in um, Italy, isn't there? And, um,
1: oh yes, there is.
2: A lot of those, you know, very light unfiltered reds uh, are absolutely delicious with pizza.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. Now, just a final question on cooking with wine. A lot of Italy's famous dishes uh, have wine in the cooking pot. I'm thinking of. Brasato al Barolo, for example, or Risotto al marone or Stracotto al Chianti. Wines where, where the wine is, is important ingredient as uh, what, anything else in the dish. What do you think about cooking with prestigious and expensive wines is it worth it It
2: depends how long the wine is going to be in the dish in my view so if it's a long um, braise then there really is no point in putting a, you know a very expensive wine in because actually it just all kind of breaks down as you know the only thing I would always do um, at the end of that cooking process, is that a dash of better wine, you know, probably the wine you're going to drink, just to kind of lift the flavors, and it just brings the wininess of it back. But if you're making something very simple, you know, some uh, chicken with a white wine sauce and uh, mushrooms or something like that, it's worth using a slightly better wine and maybe the wine you're going to drink. Because actually you drink, uh, if if you make it with a really good Chardonnay, for example, you do get the benefit of that. But it's, you know, it's all a question of how long is that wine going to be cooked for? Short time, up the quality, longer, you know, something clean and drinkable, but I don't think it has to be special myself.
1: Yes, I think I'd agree with you. I mean, at times I've enjoyed something like Brazzato al Barolo. I've been in the home of a Barolo producer and it was quite easy to go down in the cellar and and, and pull out a, a jug of wine from the vat to bring it up, to put in the cooking pot. Not so easy for most of us when, you know, it's such a costly wine that has been aged for upwards of years to do that. It's it's quite difficult to open the cork and begin pouring it into the pot.
2: No, yeah, I think so, you know. <laughs> um, but if, I mean, it depends how many of you are. There are two. I mean, there are two of you and you're making, you know, a quick sauté of something and you're drinking a rather special wine with it. I mean, go for it. Put, you know, put half a glass into the... Or a glass into the dish.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Well, we've we've covered a lot of ground this morning, Fee, uh, but we've only just touched the surface of a uh, really vast and and fun subject. And I think that's what I like about your approach to matching food and wine. There are no dogmatic rules that you make, or you know, strictures on what can and what you shouldn't do, or what you should do but really i think what you give is people the playfulness you know the confidence to explore to taste to have fun with wine and in that sense matching food and wine is really about enhancing the enjoyment of a of both the wine and the food and indeed the whole social experience so that's what i hope people will take from this podcast the confidence to Really play and have fun.
2: Yes, definitely. I still find it sad that a lot of people still feel intimidated by wine, that, that, that it's a subject they feel they ought to know more about. And it should just be something to en- to enjoy and experiment with. You're not going to know everything. You know, we don't know everything. And so, you know, just keep trying things. As you said, you were, you know, a different wine last night. Just constantly take the opportunity to try and try with food preferably
1: yes yes enjoying with food and i think that's the italian lesson as well that food and wine are part of life and uh, they're to be enjoyed together and 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 together they make our, our lives better more enjoyable so with that fee i think we'll close our podcast it's been a real pleasure meeting up with you again today here and i'm really looking forward to seeing you soon Thank you very much.
2: Thank
0: you.
1: Thanks, Fee. See you soon.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vignitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. For more information about Vignitali and tickets, visit vinitaly.com And remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com.